All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from New York City on this, the ninth day of June 2020. And I do want to remind you that I'm the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com. We like to put in a plug for Chen Lin, ChenPix.com. Go to ChenPix.com. Chen's uh, expertise, uh, especially in the biotech sector, but also in the uh, in the energy and the mining sector as well. And then, uh, as always, we like to remind you of uh, Michael Oliver, who will be speaking to us in a few minutes from now. It's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to keep up with a purely objective, technical point of view of the markets. Uh, Michael certainly does have his views of markets. He is a free market advocate for sure, uh, but he lets the markets uh, tell him what's going to happen next rather than his own preconceived ideas. Uh, my, and Michael, as I say, will be with us uh, in just a few moments from now. I do want to thank our sponsors. This week's sponsors are in resources, Great Bear Resources, Benchmark Metals. They're a new sponsor. We want to welcome them today. Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. And I will be speaking uh, to Jim Gregg uh, in the second segment of today's show. He is the president and CEO of Benchmark Metals, a very fine company that is developing a multi-million ounce gold and silver deposit in north-central British Columbia. It's one that I'm really excited about, own the stock myself, and have had it in my newsletter now for a number of months. Um, I've, ti- I've, I've titled today's show, The Path to Monetary Collapse. Um, and insane stock valuations, how long can that last? The path to monetary collapse is something we talked about last week. We're likely to get onto that topic again today with John Rubino in the second half of today's show. Jim Craig, as I mentioned, will be with me in the second segment, and uh, Michael Oliver will be with me momentarily after I talk a little bit more about today's show. Well, when it rains, it pours even before COVID-19 tremors. In the repo markets, we're suggesting growing instability in the financial markets. That went back to uh, September of last year. Then COVID-19 hit hit us, uh, raising uh, prospects of a great, uh, greater, even a greater depression, unfortunately. If that were not enough, we suddenly have an attempt, what I think is an attempt at hard coup against the current U.S. government with massive pillaging, death, and mayhem in every U.S. city, major U.S. city around the country virtually. And if that isn't enough, the latest GDP estimates by the Fed is for a negative 52% in the, quarter, in the second quarter of this year. Meantime, the stock market continues to climb with little hesitation. Today, it does seem to be uh, not as 
definitively higher, but it is um, uh, it has been in- incredibly high, detached seemingly totally from underlying reality, allowing the filthy rich to get even more filthy rich. That seems to be the direction of things. Since this show started back in March of 2009, we have explained that Keynesian monetary theory, and actually it's more than a theory, unfortunately, it's it's the practice of our uh, of our monetary gods, that it was really leading the way towards poverty by rewarding consumption and punishing savings. All those closest to the printing presses, meaning large corporate interests, banking interests, uh, the military-industrial complex, and all those people that work for those organizations, as well as federal government employees, they're doing quite well, doing very well, in fact. While the main uh, stable force of society, the middle class, the producers, the people, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, uh, they are being killed by this parasitic system. Some of you might remember when Democrats once stood up, once stood up for the manufacturing and middle class, and when they also re- really roiled against the military-industrial complex. If you wonder why you don't hear from them complaining about those same social issues now, well, I would suggest it might just be because the Democrats themselves, the elites within the party, are now a part of that parasitic corporate and military-industrial complex, the banking structure and so forth. They are reaping tremendous profits. It's no longer, it used to be known as the Republican Party being the rich man's party. Well, I dare say that probably there's more wealth in the Democratic Party these days than in the uh, in the GOP. And this is, I think, very much of what Trump was standing against. And Trump, I believe, really meant business. Now, you can argue with the guy and the tactics he's taken, all that, but he really uh, got the vote of the people that felt uh, disenfranchised, the middle class uh, in middle America primarily, the flyover people. But if it's true that I'm right that the elites in the Democratic Party um, are who I think they are. There should be no surprise then that the Fed is continuing the same practice that they continued that they uh, underwent in 2008, 2009, when they bailed out the financial system and pumping huge amounts of money into the system, allowing the stock market to rise. At the same time, people are literally more and more of them going hungry, literally going hungry. The middle class uh, now becoming a poverty-stricken masses of, uh, in America. Um, so in light of this economic depression, we just really want to ask, you know, how long can this sort of thing go on? How long can the equity markets continue to rise? That's a topic we want to talk to John Rubino about uh, in the second half of today's show. And as I mentioned, we'll be talking to Jim, Jim Gregg uh, in the second segment, just in a few minutes from now. Benchmark Metals is really a very exciting story that I'm, uh, that I'm really looking forward to hearing what Jim has to say. But before we go to Jim and their first commercial break, Michael Oliver is here with us, as he is every other week. Thanks for joining us again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you here. Um, as often as we can get you, you're welcome to come on the show. Now, I want to ask you, you, some time ago, were turning quite bullish on commodities. Commodities really, well, I don't know. They haven't done all that well. Gold led the way, as you pointed out. But what are you seeing now for the commodity sector? What, what is your vision currently? Because we haven't asked you about that in the last few weeks. Yeah, well, I, I think, well, you could fundamentally understand this point, that uh, when the Fed prints money, it goes somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2009, 
uh, it went into the stock market. Well, that made some technical sense. At that point, MSA was rampantly bullish on the stock market, March mm-hmm. of 2009. In fact, we pegged the low within a week. Um, and it was technical. But at that point, the stock market had gone, the S&P had gone from a high at 1570 down to 667. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to zero, okay? That was a pretty, pretty good drop. And therefore, it, it made sense that when they pumped the money, some investors, smart money, would put it into that market because it was uh, washed out. A lot of the mm-hmm. risk was removed, so forth. Now, here we have a, the opposite situation. We have a 11 to 12-year-old bull market that's thrashing around. In fact, if you look at an S&P, like a monthly chart, go back to 2018, uh, January 2018, you can draw a line sideways, and we've been above and below, above and below, above and below. Mm-hmm. With no real net gain. I mean, you know, you wait two months, you're, you're negative. You wait two months, you're positive. You know, mm-hmm. just a widening, sloppy pattern of action. And it was like somebody's having a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, so, from the investor point of view, or for the pension fund point of view, who desperately need return, uh, which has been denied to them because the central banks have taken rates to zero or effectively, mm-hmm. you know, as close as you can get, uh, they need the return from the stock market. Well, so the Fed has come in, and hopefully, you know, they're bidding up the uh, corporate debt market overtly, buying ETFs in junk bonds. Um, and they're no doubt helping the stock market, or trying to, uh, as aggressively as they can. And the question is, a lot of investors, no doubt, and recent buyers have thought, oh, the Fed's behind us, we're going up again. Mm-hmm. Thinking along the lines of 2009. Well, you know, put it in context, guys. Look at the charts in 2009. And look at the charts now and tell me, okay, this is not overdone, and, you know, et cetera. So it's a, our argument is that money, that capital, that liquidity is, is going somewhere. Mm-hmm. But we think investors, and we see evidence of it, will plow it into assets that have less risk. That would be the commodity category. Why? Because it's been bombed out. In fact, it was bombed out in 2016. Look at the Bloomberg Commodity Index. It went sideways for three or four years. And recently it went down and spiked briefly below the Mm -hmm. 2016 low. Is now headed back up to try to get back above it. And I think it's going to V-bottom. Some markets didn't take out, like copper, for example, dropped hard, tested Mm -hmm. this 2016 low, did not take it out. Oil Mm -hmm. took it out. Grains did not. They basically floundered sideways for four years now. So they're bombed out in the commodity sector with no other place to go but up. And with this money flow is likely to move into that area and into stocks within the stock market that are related to commodities. Mm-hmm. I suggest oil stocks and, uh, and so forth, and, mi- yeah. and base metal mining stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll put further wind at the back of gold once the commodity upturn becomes evident to most people. We've got some numbers that tell us when and where it's become a solid conviction on our part that it's turning up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that won't excite the price guys, but there's some levels above that will excite the price chart guys that will tell them, mm-hmm. oh my, the commodity complex is turning up, meaning mm-hmm. wind at the back of gold. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. while the stock market's beating its chest, watch the dollar. Mm-hmm. The dollar has been caving recently, but in a quiet way, but still caving. It's now down within less than one point, dollar index I'm speaking of, of blasting out an annual momentum floor. Oh. That we think once it breaks, it it's, hits headed down more sharply and noisily. Euro is doing precisely the opposite. Uh, the Canadian dollar and the Australian dollar are starting to soar up out of V-bottom type lows. Of course, they're commodity-related countries mm-hmm. in terms of their sure. you know, output. Uh, so all these little pieces sort of fit together and point in one direction. And that is, mm-hmm. yep, 
central banks are printing the money, but it isn't going to go where they think it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting because just this morning, uh, Stephen Roach, a famous economist, of course, Morgan Stanley for many years now, uh, now a professor at Yale, uh, talked on Bloomberg about a crash in the dollar that is coming, and he gave his reasons. Certainly, uh, if people look around and start to realize that the dollar is becoming ever more worthless, they might start to want to buy tangible assets. And, of course, uh, the most likely ones are those precious metals and and commodities, I would suggest. Now, uh, speaking of precious metals, uh, talk to us about gold. What is your picture there? It's not been going anywhere lately. That's right. There's two assets that generally were accepted as alternative, quote, to the stock market. That's T-bonds, U.S. government bonds, or foreign government bonds as well, and gold. And so when the stock market caved, those are the, the asset categories that money flowed into. Mm-hmm. Now, when the S&P made its low in March and then started its uh, couple-month rally now, uh, you would have thought that gold and T-bonds would, would collapse. And mm-hmm. instead, what gold did is it turned around and made an all-time, a new high for this, this move, and T-bonds went back up toward their high and went sideways. Mm-hmm. So while the S&P has gone up for the past couple of months, if you look at a weekly close only of gold or a monthly close mm-hmm. only or T-bonds futures, it's a sideways yawn. Now, T-bonds last week did drop sharply, but they're jerking back up very rapidly, and we think they're ready to resume their upside. Last week was a fake out. Gold tried to break down yet again. There's umpteen times in the last couple of months. and just can't seem to get it going. So yeah. look at a gold chart and put yourself in a bear's position and say, mm-hmm. how are you doing, bear? You've been selling <laughs> me for uh, you know, two or three months now. Are you making money? Mm-hmm. And the answer no, he's not. is he's... no. You know, no. So, so at some, at some point, the bear is going to... At some point, that bear is going to get discouraged and throw in the towel, I suppose. I think he's going to be destroyed and probably destroyed rather than something. discouraged, yeah. 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 Well, if he's leveraged short, let's, uh, let's wish him we well. No, let's not. Uh, all right. Well, so, so rates, you think, Michael, because, um, I mean, this is the big thing in my way of, my way of thinking. Uh, when confidence is lost, money will no longer flow into U.S. Treasuries, but... But it, right. for the foreseeable future, that's going to continue, you believe, right? I mean, whenever I think, the, the stock market gets whacked, money's going to yeah. instinctively go into the treasuries. I think there's like one more time where the T-bonds will behave inversely to the stock market. In other words, if the S&P rolls over now and the NASDAQ, which made an all-time new high marginally, if it doesn't sustain and suddenly you roll back down into that ink I described to you a minute ago, sideways mm-hmm. ink, then... The money's going to flow back into T-bonds again as an alternative in a, quote, safe haven. Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, sometime next quarter or the fourth quarter of this year, I see T-bonds as being potentially vulnerable to going down, meaning yields go up. So at mm-hmm. some point in this overall process, we expect the government bond market to join hand-in-hand hand with the equity market to the downside mm-hmm. the price now, and mm-hmm. uh, which means that low rates on the, on the short-term end by the central banks won't save the longer rates, like the 10-year mm-hmm. and the 30-years, uh, and therefore those safe havens and T-bonds will prove not to be. Well, then mm-hmm. what are you left with? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and Stephen Roach in his article is wondering how high interest rates are going to have to go when the rest of the world abandons the dollar and no longer sends the money to us to allow us to live beyond our means. How high are interest okay. rates going to have to go uh, to uh, allow the U.S. Treasury to fund itself? I mean, that's... Uh, that's a that's a question for another day. But uh, Michael, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your thoughts. Always so valuable. I know our people love you, 
You're one of the most popular guests we have. So thanks again for being with us. Thank you, Jay. All righty, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because I'm going to be back with Jim Gregg. Uh, he is the president uh, of the, well, of Benchmark Metals, a, a company that I think you're going to want to hear more from. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Jim Gregg. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Jim Gregg. Uh, he is the president uh, of Benchmark Metals. Jim holds an MBA from the University of Calgary. Uh, his bachelor's degree is in geography from Carleton University and uh, 20 years of experience in the resource sector, including uh, advancement of the 5 million ounce East uh, Yassi Gold Project in West Africa. I'm not sure that I remember that one, but 5 million ounces is no... Uh, is a nice uh, a nice number to talk about, and I think that Jim may be on to something similar to that, if not bigger, from what I understand at Benchmark Metals. Um, thanks for joining me today, Jim. Good. Thanks for having us, Jay. It's a pleasure to uh, present this new gold-silver story in northern British Columbia, Canada. Well, I always like to have stories that I'm excited about, and this is one of those, for sure. Uh, yeah, north-central British Columbia, the lawyer's gold-silver property, is your uh, is your flagship? That's what you're working on. I should tell our listeners uh, your trade in in Canada under the symbol BNCH. Uh, I have purchased it down here in the states under the CYRTF. 113.9 million shares out. 38 cents earlier today gives it a market cap. If my uh, if my fingers hit the right numbers on the calculator, it's 43 million more or less Canadian market cap, which is, I think, minuscule compared to what I think uh, we might expect going forward. Uh, just to just to start out, Jim, I wonder if you could just take a minute or two to talk to our listeners a little bit about the history of the Lawyers Project. It was a producer. Uh, it produced, I don't know, over 100,000 ounces of gold and some silver as well, I believe. Um, talk to us a little bit about the history and how benchmark happened to gain uh, to gain this project and how your vision has changed from the old days uh, under the previous operators sure Jay so that this was a this is indeed a, a brownfield program uh, it has a footprint from former production from about 30 years ago 
It produced approximately uh, about 50,000 ounces a year from 1989 to 1992, and they never fully depleted the deposit. Uh, but back in those days, they were certainly looking for the very, very high-grade material. And uh, when they shut the mine down in uh, 93 and 94, gold was at approximately $300 an ounce and silver was at $7 an ounce. So it was declining gold-silver prices that inevitably caused the, the reclamation effort and closed down of the mine. But uh, now when you fast-forward 30 years later, we acquired this two years ago and have done substantial aggressive work over the past two years. We believe this is indeed a project that will be set for a, a new mining decision soon. Uh, the difference is back then they were drilling the high grade narrow five to seven meter veins. We believe now this is a bulk tonnage scenario. Uh, we're seeing large drill intercepts at surface that extend well to 100 and 150 meters mm. uh, but those long intercepts also encompass the the high grade in the center mm -hmm. um, so it's the best of both worlds you're getting high grade and then some moderate grade as well uh, but at surface so this is not an underground scenario that we're working towards we're looking at uh, multiple open pits uh, at surface and a project where there's no helicopter uh, support required, we can actually drive right to site and park our trucks beside the drill rig. Mm -hmm. How uh, how long can you work the whole year? I imagine you you probably in the coldest winter months you're not up there, right? At least uh, at least now on exploration. That's right. Not at the moment. However. Um, we are in an area where there's not a lot of snowfall, and um, so for the moment it's seasonal work, but uh, we will be beginning to install more full season or all-time infrastructure at our site that would enable us to work perhaps uh, 10 months a year and extend the, the drill season for more news and more uh, development work. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I know you have a lot of different targets that you're going to be exploring. It's my understanding so far, you've uh, focused on Cliffs Creek, I believe, is the deposit uh, where you've done most of your work so far. Is that right? That's right. There's actually um, in the center of the property where there was some small former production. Um, we've isolated about five closely uh, related and space zones. Uh, the Cliff Creek is the largest of these zones. It extends for over 1.2 kilometers, which in... Uh, uh, imperial terms, that's probably about uh, 0.7 miles in mm -hmm. strike length. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's two other advanced zones that have seen a lot of historical work, but um, a lot of drilling during 2018 and 2019 from Benchmark. Uh, and this one's called AGB, which is uh, at surface and has much higher grade. And the second one or third one would be Duke's Ridge. So what we're envisioning here is um, after another 50,000 meters of drilling this year, we'll be embarking on a new mineral resource estimate. And uh, we're targeting multi-million ounce resource potential here. Uh, that 50,000 meters, is, uh, is that divided between those, those properties you just mentioned or is that still at, at Cliffs Creek? So um, when I mentioned the two other zones, they're actually very close to each other. Uh -huh. um, so okay. we're, they're within the same project. Um, mm -hmm. They're all within about a three-square-kilometer area. Mm -hmm. 
So 75% of the drilling this year so uh, will be targeted towards resource expansion in those three areas. And then we'll be um, partitioning a small amount or limited amount of drilling towards some new targets across the property that have potential for brand new discoveries. Are we talking about uh, a project, uh, a, a target called Silver Pond, perhaps? That's right. So Silver Pond, we put out a press release uh, recently, and it has some indications that this could be a porphyry target. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the property, I'd have to say, is mainly epithermal low sulfidation, which lends itself to being higher grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Silver Pond deposit, or it's not a deposit yet. Uh, however, we will drill test this. It has some um, good geological signatures to show that it's a porphyry, and of course, it's the porphyry that interests uh, uh, a lot of the majors. For sure. Uh, well, you've talked a little bit about target uh, target um, ounces that you've got. I, I don't know if if that refers then to Cliffs Creek as well as Dukes Ridge and AGB, perhaps. Um, but you're talking about something about 1.68 to 1.92 million ounces from this area that you're focused on. That's right. Um, and and you, but you've, but there's a lot of work that you guys have done. A lot of work. You took a lot of old drill data as well, I believe, and has you know you've you've reviewed that so that it's not as if those are numbers you're pulling out of the air. No, uh, that's right, Jay. Uh, you know we have after this next drill program, which starts um, within the next few weeks. We'll have in excess of 100,000 meters total of drill data. So mm-hmm. this is not an early stage uh, uh, exploration target. This is well developed with uh, closely spaced uh, drill intercepts and um, uh, over over three zones. So this is, you know, we're embarking on a, a major resource estimate and you know we've only taken two years to make this happen so we've been very aggressive and we will continue to be aggressive because it's a mathematical equation the more you drill the more results you get um, the less risk you have in producing a, a larger resource right and i i see that you're you're talking about uh coming up with a resource a 43101 resource i believe by the end of this year is that right that's right. Uh, it's likely to come out um, in Q1 uh, of next year. So, you know, that's not far away. That's uh, six to eight months away. Uh, and we'll be is, uh, putting out news from the drilling um, near the end of July, and results will continue from the lab right through to about a November, December timeframe. So I think people should be really keeping their eyes on the drill results. And, I mean, you've had some spectacular long drill result, long long intersections that were very very that's what caught my eye actually bob moriarty followed you and i you know catching up with his some of the things he's written i said wow this is uh, this is something i've got to pay some attention to um and then some economics too possibly in, in next year as well is that a, a pea perhaps that's to get right. a sense of that would be then focused on this main area of cliffs creek dukes bridge and agb i suppose that's correct it um the economics will be solely based on um, those three pitch shell type areas. Mm-hmm. Um, we expect that to follow Q1 of next year. And, uh, you know, early indications are that um, 
the grade is compelling here, especially given um, we're in an era of uh, $1,700 gold and uh, about an $18 silver price. And you have uh, a certainly, uh, I guess, better infrastructure than you had when the previous operators were there, probably, right? Yeah, we're we're uh, we're in close company. We're fortunate that um, 45 kilometers from the project sits the world-class Kames Gold Copper Deposit, and uh, you know that Kames is tied into um, uh, a power grid, and uh-huh. that would be a, an access point for a tie-in for the project down the road. Uh, but in addition to that, I mean, as I mentioned, we can drive directly to the site. There's very good road infrastructure. And there's also a um, an airstrip within 13 kilometers of our project. And back in the day, they were landing Hercules aircraft on this airstrip. Wow. Huh. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty serious uh, airstrip then. That's right. Uh, yep. Could you talk a little bit about your shareholders? Who, who owns the company? And does management have a... a- uh, a little yes. bit of skin in the game. Yeah, um, you know, management here, uh, we're not in the story for a salary. In fact, uh, we're more interested in ownership and an appreciating share stock position. We, uh, we want to uh, create wealth and uh, we are investors. So uh, approximately 20% of the company is owned by management and close associates. Uh, but our single largest shareholder in the company is Eric Sprott, uh, who got involvement in this story in the fall of last year. Uh, we also have um, some institutional ownership in the company now, too. So uh, we're embarking on a new phase here where we're starting to move into the institutional phase where we get very good, uh, big support for the uh, larger capital injections that are needed in the future as we work towards developing this gold silver story yeah strong hands getting people that will be uh, staying with you uh, waiting for the development of this project which seems to me you have the potential for something multi multi-million ounce deposit I think I've, I've seen somewhere that you're really expecting or at least you're really hoping to be able to come up with something in excess of five million ounces and um, of course time will tell but um, so how well funded are you to take you through? You, you've got money in the bank uh, to take you through this year? We do, Jay. Um, our cash position is approximately 11 million Canadian. Mm-hmm. And that um, fully pays for our work through 2020. Um, we've got a large $8.5 million budget to support this new drill program. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're in a good position, unlike many others. We do not need to go back to the market uh, for work. And, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're excited. There's news to come, and we have three very big, large milestones over the next uh, 9 to 12 months' time. Yeah, and you were doing a lot of work, too. I saw uh, in your press release you put out this morning a lot of things that, um, that you need to do, um, that you really need to do to start building a project that's uh, heading towards production. I know it's too early to say production yet, but certainly a lot of, I think, some environmental work even and some of those, a lot of uh, continuing on with metallurgical work and all that. The metal, just uh, with 30 seconds left, how how does the metallurgy look at this stage? You've done some it preliminary lo- work. We've done some preliminary work and there were results to come, but the historical numbers from the production days was 93% gold 
and 78% silver, and that's utilizing 30-year-old technology. So we we don't anticipate any issues. In fact, uh, we think this will be a, a very clean flow sheet with good recovery on both gold and silver. All right. Well, we'll be certainly looking forward. And in a few, uh, when did you say you're going to start drilling? Within a few days? Yeah, we'll be mobilizing to site um, uh, in the next week or two. And we'll have a full announcement out uh, when our crews are sent to the project area. Mm-hmm. And the one thing we've been quite good at is uh, informing our investors with news flow every seven to 10 days. And of course, we will continue with that. That's great. And, um, well, uh, I guess it would be a little while, though, before the first uh, assays are coming out. It would probably be a couple of weeks after they after the core goes to the labs, right? That's right. I would anticipate results uh, perhaps um, later half of July uh, from the assay lab. Well, that's not so far away either. So, uh, Jim, I want to thank you so much. It's a really a great story. And uh, I really look forward to uh, making some money. Good, yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, talk- I'm uh, talking personally here. No, I understand myself as well. I mean, uh, we need to deliver results, and we will, and um, we can all enjoy the spoils of greater wealth. Sounds like a sounds like a plan to me, Jim. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll uh, try to keep up with you going forward. Very good, Jay. I, I look forward to uh, more chat is, uh, in the future. Me too. Thank you so much. Well, folks, don't go away. John Rubino will be with us. He's of the proprietor of DollarCollapse.com. We'll talk about some very interesting subjects, including the one that uh, Stephen Roach uh, wrote about this morning, a crash in the dollar is coming, Stephen Roach says, and uh, John Rubino will have some thoughts about that as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer flagship Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have a good friend of mine, John Rubino, with us once again. And as many of you know, John is the proprietor of DollarCollapse.com. It's a place you should go to every day to catch up on important news that John puts out and some of his own articles that he also provides insights into the markets right there at DollarCollapse.com. Thanks for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me back on. Always good to have you with us, and um, in spite of all of the 
well, maybe because of all the difficult times that we're experiencing, it's good to have a friend like you and a, uh, a rational person join our discussion. Um, since your website is dollarcollapse.com, I thought I would pass along an article that Stephen Roach um, wrote this morning to appear at Bloomberg. Uh, long, had, I remember him from the old days at Morgan Stanley. He used to read his missives almost every day. For a while, I always thought he made so much sense, more than most of the mainstream, uh, most of the mainstream analysts, because he was always talking about the United States should be saving more and consuming less. And of course, he was in, uh, involved mostly in Asia, the Asian desk for Morgan Stanley. So he saw the other side of the part of the world that was really allowing us, that was working hard, producing things, allowing us to live beyond our means. We used the dollar, that was. Um, you know, the privilege of having the world's reserve currency allowed us, as you know, very well to live beyond our means for quite a while. But he warned us that there would come a day when this might not be uh, possible any longer. So, um, you know, in his article today, he noted that the problem is related to a lack of savings by Americans and the abuse of our reserve currency status to the point where he believes it, it can't go on any longer. And he noted that the key question is what will spur the decline. And then he answered, he gave his own answers, and I would like your response to this, John. But he said, and I'm going to quote Stephen Roach, he said, look no further than the Trump administration. Protectionist trade policies, withdrawal from the architectural pillars of globalization, such as the Paris Agreement on Climate, Trans-Pacific Partnership, World Health Organization, and traditional Atlantic alliances, gross mismanagement of COVID-19 response, together with wrenching social turmoil not seen since the late 1960s, are all painfully visible manifestations of America's sharply diminished global leadership, end of quote. Wow, I'd say that is quite an indictment against uh, the direction that Donald Trump took us over the last number of years. Many of those things he's complaining about, as an American, I was in favor of. But on the other hand, once the world is what it is, empires can't just automatically jump back, I suppose. So anyway, what are your thoughts about Stephen Roach's uh, comments and his concerns? Well, the the conventional wisdom with the dollar is that um, the, the U.S. is, despite all our problems, still the strongest economy in the world, so that when when the world has problems, the dollar gets stronger because everyone else is in even worse shape than we are. So we become the safe haven uh, for global capital. And what Stephen Roach is saying is that we're entering a period of time when the U.S. actually um, is relatively weak in a lot of ways compared to the rest of the world. For instance, he sees um, in, in the current recession slash depression, he sees our savings rate going dramatically negative. In other words, we are so broke that we have to borrow just to pay our day-to-day bills in the U.S. Um, And that's a a very dangerous statistic from the point of view of um, currency value, because um, if you are saving nothing, and actually you're, you're not only not saving, but you're running through your existing savings. Uh, you're not a, a rock solid borrower from the point of view of somebody who might be wanting to invest or lend to you. Uh, and he sees the, the plunging savings rate leading to a, wire, a wider current account and trade deficit. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, 
we're no longer the leader of the international community. We've pulled out of a lot of the uh, the organizations that define globalism right now. Mm-hmm. So um, Stephen Roach believes that the rest of the world is going to look at us and see, uh, you know, a not all that strong economy and one that's not involved with the rest of the world. And they're not going to see us as a special place to put their money. And that's going to lead the dollar to fall by 35% in his estimation. Which, Jay, that sounds an awful lot like the 1970s. Now, you know, you and I are old enough to remember those days. Yeah. Most oh, of your listeners are not. <laughs> but uh, that was a time when the uh, the U.S. was having a lot of financial troubles. The dollar was plunging in value. Inflation was spiking. We had something called stagflation mm-hmm. back then, where the economy was stagnant, but prices were still rising. Um, and that was, I mean, that was the the biggest currency crisis, at least since the depression for the US. Uh, And he sees us heading back into something like that. And, uh, you know, I I kind of sort of remember those days. And they were really chaotic. You know, the dollar was plunging in value. And um, gold was spiking. So, you know, gold bugs might actually enjoy that aspect of, of what's coming if Stephen Roach is right. But I think the the rest of the country will not enjoy it if it plays out that way. Because, you know, you take away the the power that comes with a, res- a reserve currency from a country, and all of a sudden that country has to live within its means. And for us, that means cutting what? You know, our deficit this year is going to be 10% of GDP, apparently. So that means cutting 10% out of the economy in order to pay our own bills. Uh, and you know that's going to fall most heavily on the people who can least afford it. So if if we think the current civil unrest is um, epic and not to be repeated, we may be wrong. You know, if Stephen Roach's scenario plays out, uh, the um, the lower thirty percent or so of the you know the people in terms of income and wealth in the U.S. are are going to be right back out in the streets because they're going to see themselves being impoverished coming and going, you know, their currency is going to be falling in value. So prices of everything are going to be going up and their incomes, remember it's stagflation. So the economy is stagnant, which means there are not that many good new jobs out there. Um, So we're going to see a a very chaotic time and one that, uh, you know, we got out of it easily, relatively easily in the 1970s because we were financially pretty strong, actually, you know, we weren't Mm -hmm. fundamentally flawed. Now we're, um, amazingly, epically over-leveraged and therefore a lot more fragile. So this might be not be something we can recover from that easily if it plays out. So it's a, it's a very scary scenario. It is frightening. Um, I was going to say, John, that if we can get out, we survived the 70s. I remember them very well. Um, you know, prices were going up like mad. Salaries weren't keeping up. Well, actually, there was some cost push uh, inflation in those days. Uh, wages were going up in certain sectors, which helped to, to spur the inflation. Um, you know, I don't know if we if we can see that kind of thing happen again. But labor unions were stronger then; they had more power. Uh, they've been weakened to a great extent since then. So I don't know. But uh, government transfer payments. Then you know we're seeing that now take place. But I don't have confidence that government transfer payments are going to keep up. Uh, even if, you know, it, it, there's other problems with government transfer payments, of course, people, I think people need to work to feel like they're doing something. I think most people need, psychologically need to feel that they are earning their keep. 
And so the whole idea of transfer payments and guaranteed income and all that, I, I don't think it's a good thing personally. But even if we have that, uh, John, I think you agree that the government's accounting of, of inflation, for example, is understating the real cost of living dramatically. So I could just see, you know, Social, social Security, uh, it's 1% or 2% increase a year, something like that, isn't keeping up with the actual cost of living, I think. Um, John Williams certainly thinks that's true. Uh, then the idea that somehow government will, and then where is the government going to get the money to transfer to pay that? For the longest time, we could live beyond our means, as Stephen Roach pointed out, because we depended on foreigners to buy U.S. treasuries. And then, of course, they would buy them again if they allowed the interest rates to go up, like Paul Volcker did in 1980. Then we would have a tremendous amount of money flowing. We could, I don't know what it would take, though. What would it take, John? What, what interest rate would it take? I mean, we don't know that, of course. But Well, the way we got out of the 1970s was by raising interest rates to between 15 and 20%, depending on which interest rate we're talking about. Now, can you imagine us doing that now with all the variable rate debt that's out there? We, you know, we would bankrupt the world <laughs> if we tried to raise interest rates to 15%. So we can't do that. We don't have the tool that we had back then. But we were financially strong enough back then to handle it. Um, so that, that was what we did that worked, but we can't do that again. So that's, that's why I'm saying, I'm not sure how we get out of something like a replay of the 1970s because, um, yeah, we needed high interest rates back then to stabilize Mm -hmm. the value of the dollar. And if we don't have that, then the dollar just keeps falling. You know, it becomes kind of a death spiral Mm -hmm. and that, that was always the fate of all of these fiat currencies. So, Mm -hmm. You know, it's we shouldn't be singling the dollar out here necessarily because they're all headed the same way, just at varying rates. So mm-hmm. um, maybe the dollar drops by 35% like Stephen Roach expects. Well, the euro might drop by 28%. Mm-hmm. And then people will say, well, the euro is relatively strong. It's not <laughs> yeah. strong. It's, just, right. it's falling. It's just falling at a slightly slower rate. Right. And that is the ultimate fate of all the fiat currencies. So a lot of this stuff is, is more of a, a discussion about timing mm-hmm. than about the specifics, because we're headed into some version of Stephen Roach's scenario for the dollar, without a doubt. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a question of whether it's this year or next year, or whether the euro and the yen precede us into mm-hmm. that kind of a situation. But we're all headed that way, mm-hmm. which means that we should be preparing for something like that, even if it doesn't happen next year. You know, maybe the dollar stays stronger than the other currencies for another year or whatever, or for a long time. And they, uh, you know, the others fall faster than the dollar while the dollar is still falling. You know, and all of that is possible. Mm -hmm. So we should be preparing for that. And one way you do that, of course, is with gold and silver. You know, that's that's the recurring theme in the sound money community is that the, uh, the basic way of protecting yourself from the mismanagement of the currency of the country in which you live is to swap out of that currency and into precious metals, which are money that governments can't make more of. So um, no matter what happens in the next few years, gold and silver are probably going to be good places to hide out. And a lot of the things that are working now, like general equities, you know, Google and Facebook and stuff like that probably won't do as well because they'll be a lot more volatile. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it could very well be. But just I was just thinking, John, to put this uh, this issue in perspective, this whole debt issue and how 
you know, how injurious it is to us. I think even before COVID and before uh, before this latest, you know, the problems that we're having now, $22 trillion U.S. debt meant that a 1% increase in interest rates would be would add $220 billion to the annual cost of, of government. And so, you know, if you have several rises in interest rates, I mean, how can they do it other than to print money to pay for it if you don't have uh, other countries paying, you know, paying for our debts, essentially essentially allowing us to live as we have. And you could see this coming. We talked about it for years and years on this show. John, you know, those of us in the, uh, the Austrian school, this is why I like Steve Roach so much. Now, Steve Roach is a mainstream economist. He's at Yale right now. But he always seemed to have a more reasonable outlook about things than most of these Keynesian economists. He always railed against this notion that we could just live beyond our means, that we could just continue to consume like mad sailors. And of course, this was made possible by pushing the interest rates down lower and lower and lower, which then adds to the malinvestment. You know, people spend money in foolish ways for businesses that don't have a chance of working. And they encourage people and corporations over the last few years to go out and borrow money to buy their own stock. They put debt on the balance sheets of companies, buy their stock, push up the a price of the stock, and then they get out with their options and stuff. I mean, all of this stuff is caused by what I think is really malicious monetary policy. It is an un, it is it is an immoral monetary policy that's caused by by creating money out of nothing and redistributing wealth. I mean, to me, John, one of the things that I'm most concerned about now, and you alluded to it earlier, is this massive redistribution of wealth. You know, from the middle class, from the people that actually produce things, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, to the people, to the elite, the people that are closest to the to the monetary system. You know, the, whether it's the military-industrial complex, it's government workers, it's corporations that have purchased laws that allow them to have monopolies in the economy. Those people just do swimmingly well, and you daren't speak against them or else you're in trouble, so... I don't know. But, but, but of course, there are, those are things we can't control. Those are things beyond our control. And, John, as you were suggesting, what we need to do is prepare as best we can as individuals to take care of our families. And you mentioned, obviously, gold and silver. Those are places to start. Uh, but um, you had, a topic that you had suggested we might, we might touch on today uh, was the gold shares. You know, the GDX is pretty much sort of plateaued for the time being it seems i'm watching gdx we had a nice rise it's sort of just bopping along along with gold uh and you were suggesting that maybe maybe we should think about taking some profits from our mining shares well i can tell you that some of mine that have done very well i've taken some money off the table and but at the same time i'm so bullish on gold longer term and on these miners like benchmark metals that we just talked to that i i don't that i that i have a hard time holding cash, holding dollars, honestly. Even they might get stronger and it might, you know. But what are your thoughts now? Is it time to take some profits from the from the juniors from or where? What what well, are your okay. thoughts? Be- before I start talking generally about uh, the mining stocks, let me let me say one thing about Great Bear Resources, which mm-hmm. you told me about back when it was 39 cents a share. <laughs> and I bought a bunch and it is now nine bucks a share. So that's, that's a 20 right. bagger. So yeah. Jay, thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. And I, I think you've got I've a lot enjoyed of other- it myself and a number yeah. of our listeners and a number of my subscribers. But 
you know, those don't come along all the time, but I'm just seeing a lot of a lot of prospects. If this gold bull market remains for the next couple of years or so, companies like Benchmark and a whole host of others on my in my letter and sponsors of the show, quite frankly, I think are going to do extremely well. You know, I think that that's the case, but obviously there's there's always risk involved. But go ahead. Well, see that that's what a rising gold price does, though. It makes all these mining companies a lot more valuable because they they basically are just the gold and silver that they have in the ground. And uh, when the price of what it is they own goes up, then they are they are you know people call gold miners leveraged plays on the price of gold, mm-hmm. and. That means their value goes up some by some multiple of the increase in the underlying metal. And that's what we're seeing right now. You know, the, the producers, the bigger gold miners and silver miners out there are seeing the price of what they're selling go way up while their costs either stay the same or actually go down. So their margins are just exploding. So they're almost alone in the world in reporting good earnings comparisons year over year. Um, for most of the rest of this year. You know, the gold miners are going to be putting out some just killer numbers. Yes. While most other companies are, are going to be putting out numbers they want to forget, you know. Yeah, for sure. And so it's going to make the gold miners look good relatively, which means um, generalist money that pays mm-hmm. attention to who's outperforming whom without really trying to understand necessarily right. what it is right. anybody does. That money is going to be flowing into the, the mining sector. Mm-hmm. In the year ahead, and there's a lot of generalist money compared to what exists in in the mining sector right now. So, it's it's possible that that lights a rocket ship under these these stocks. Now, ha- having said that, they've already had a good run. This is the summer doldrums now, when yeah. precious metals generally are at least boring and sometimes sometimes drop pretty hard. So, um, seasonally there are reasons to maybe raise a little bit of cash right now and then hope for lower prices later. But, you know, in this world, you just can't know because you, you don't know what's going to happen. What will China and India do on yeah. their, their yeah. Um, disputed border? You know, yeah. and there's so many variables, John. Yeah. I, we're, just, we're just about out of time here. And I have to ask you this because we build the show on this question. Insane stock valuations, how long can they go on? Given all that's happening, if we're going to have a negative 50% GDP number Q2, are people going to keep buying stocks just because the Fed pumps money in the system? Well, um, the Fed represents, and central banks in general, represent the ultimate in dumb money, right? It used to be that um, small retail investors and Mm -hmm. corporate share buybacks were the dumb money in the market. They would be the guys who buy right at the top, you know, right. the most enthusiastically. So you knew when they were buying that it was the end of the cycle. But now you got these central banks who don't even look at, you know, what Google is trading at relative to its earnings. They're just, just buying buy the S&P 500 with unlimited amounts of money because they've got printing presses where they make money out of thin air. So that changes the calculus for stocks. However, at current valuations, you know, Warren Buffett has an indicator that he says is his favorite, which is uh, uh, the total market valuation of all the stocks in a country versus GDP. Uh, Right now, we're at record levels. We've never been higher than we are right now, meaning according to Warren Buffett's favorite indicator, stocks are ne- have never been more prone to a, a catastrophic crash than they are right now. So you got these two big things out there, and I'm not sure which to um, give the most weight to. Valuations mm-hmm. are crazy, but unlimited amounts of dumb money is sitting out there waiting yeah. to jump in. So yeah, I really well, we just, don't know what to tell you. Yeah, well, we, we'll just have to watch and, uh, 
and, and be prepared as best we can. John, thank you so much for being with us again. We're out of time. Always good to have you with us, and we'll do it again sometime soon. Thanks, Jay. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week. Next week, David McIlvaney will be with me, as well as Chris Taylor. Speaking of Great Bear, he's the president and CEO of Great Bear. Chris will be with us next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Oren Resources is an exploration company defined by its aggressive ambition to find the world's largest mines. Oren has raised over $100 million in this effort and believes it is on to three major discoveries at its projects in Canada and Peru. This year, Oren plans to drill Sombrero, where targets have analogous features to the 10th largest copper mine globally. The company also plans to drill its other substantial base and precious metal opportunities that management believes will be complemented by the strongest bull market in commodities over the last 50 years. Visit AURYNresources.com and subscribe to keep up with the busy year ahead.